Good morning, Outlook family. Sure, it's good to see everyone this morning. I hope you're doing well. I'm really glad to be able to just be gathered together today to open up God's Word and to get to worship Him as we just got so the chance to be so beautifully led in doing. Wasn't that just a wonderful time? It sure was. It sure was. Uh, before we jump into the Word, though, I'd love to pray together. And friends, I'd love to pray together specifically uh, for our brothers and sisters at Covenant Presbyterian in Nashville. Would you pray with me as we just kind of take a moment to lift them up in prayer? Father, it's a heartbreaking world that we live in. Um, I have to imagine, we have to imagine, Lord, it's, that's, that's as true for you as it is for anyone, probably more so. Our hearts break, your hearts break for the tragedy that took place at Nashville, in Nashville this past week. And God, we lift that church up to you. We lift that school, that church school up to you. We ask God that you'd be with them, give them comfort and peace, and we can't hardly wrap our heads around what that experience must be like. Father, whatever the solutions are to problems such as that, show us how to be a part of those solutions. By your Spirit, teach us to do the things that make for peace in our world, that protect children and preserve life. Help us to be people, God, who work to heal sickness and brokenness. And God, as we think about opening your word today, as we devote ourselves again, once again, this hour, to being your people, to reminding ourselves of what that means, to devoting ourselves to it, Holy Spirit, be our teacher today. And as we think about tragedies like this one and really countless others that happen in, uh, daily, it, it feels like, help us to comfort people in times of grief. And where possible, end the things that cause such grief. Use us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot for praying with me. Uh, also, one other thing before we jump into our sermon this morning. Again, I just want to reinforce, uh, use these cards to invite as many people as possible to church. Easter is just now just seven days away. And always a big day to celebrate who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, and share that with as many other people as possible. And so one kind of uh, easy on-ramp to doing that is inviting people to church on Easter Sunday. Uh, they may not say yes, but someone could and many will say yes to such an invitation. It, and it could be the day that changes their life, just as we all can think about a day where our life was changed too. Amen? So I'd encourage you to make the most of that opportunity. Well, as you heard Zach say, we are concluding our series this morning called When Jesus Prays. We've been looking at some of the prayers Jesus prayed, learning what they teach us about prayer, about Jesus, and about ourselves. And today, just days before we commemorate Good Friday and celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we join Jesus in his prayers on the night that he was betrayed. Here in this scene that we're going to find ourselves in, we witness prayer real and raw. Jesus and these 12 followers of his, 12 friends, one will deny him, other, another betray him, and the rest desert him, at least on this night. And if we'll allow ourselves a little divine imagination, we're there too. And as we put ourselves there, we can ask ourselves what we would do and what we do. Uh, in our own day-to-day -day when it comes to things like Jesus and devotion and prayer. 
John in John 18 sets up the scene this way. After saying these things, these things meaning the prayer we just spent three weeks looking at in John 17, we now transition to John 18. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. So Judas has already exited. He did that earlier in the evening. He is now set up to rendezvous with Jesus at this place where he knows Jesus is going to go. He's bringing some people with him, armed guards and such, to arrest Jesus. He is about to betray Jesus. They are armed, we read, with swords and clubs. Uh, they're carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. We also read that in the Gospels. This is the scene as Jesus says amen to his longest recorded prayer that we just spent the last three Sundays looking at, but he still has more praying to do. Now, I, I've had the experience of crossing that very valley and walking from Jerusalem into that grove of olive trees. Back in 2010, I got the chance to visit Israel, and it was just a really great experience. And I took these pictures. This is the Garden of Gethsemane, and these olive trees are over 2,000 years old. So those, those trees are some of the same, so to speak, trees that were there when Jesus was there. It's really quite a scene, and you can see the Jerusalem wall from the garden here. And so it's just a short walk, relatively speaking, from Jerusalem, the wall of old Jerusalem, into this garden. And what I want uh, to invite us to do today is really put ourselves in this scene too. This scene of Jesus praying in the garden. It's an iconic scene for sure. I remember seeing it etched on a plate on my grandmother's wall. I've seen it on blankets and plaques and mugs and mouse pads. You probably have too, right? Jesus praying in the garden. But the reason the scene is so often portrayed is because it's so impactful, so moving, and so personal. So let's put ourselves in this scene. And I'm going to pick it up as Matthew tells it in chapter 26 of his gospel. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now here we see Jesus, and let's remind ourselves, Jesus is God in person, in the flesh. He is 100% human and 100% God. This is a, a core tenet of our faith. It's also a mystery, right? But it's real and it's true. And now we're, we've been listening to, and now we're about to see again, God the Son praying to God the Father. But just because he's 100% God, we should make no mistake, being God did not make this easy. Jesus was ours from the cross, and he was facing it with all 100% of his very real humanity. What did Jesus need to do? He needed to pray, and he did not want to be alone. 
It was very late on Thursday night or very early Friday morning, depending on how you might want to look at it. Jesus asked these, his closest friends, to keep watch, to be with him, maybe even pray a little too. Now, I'm not quick to be one that would say that the Lord needs anything from us. He is God. He's all-sufficient. He's all-powerful. But man, on this night, the wonder of the incarnation is on full display. Jesus says to his friends, stay here. Keep watch with me. Stay with me. The prayer he prays is important and insightful, but his instructions to them paint the picture. He needs them to be with him. Indeed, he's about to endure, what he's about to endure is exactly so that we can be with him and he with us. So this is the scene. I'm going to go over there and pray, he says. And these three particular apostles are here. These three, he brings a little farther along, says, stay here and keep watch while I go over there and pray. Verse 39, he went on a little farther. Luke tells us, tells us it's about a stone's throw and bowed with his face to the ground, praying. The way Mark puts it is that he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. The prayer went like this. My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He prays to the father this agonizing prayer. It's a two-part prayer. Please spare me of this suffering, but only if you slash we can accomplish your will in another way. Now, there's some tension in that prayer. We'll explore it more in just a minute or two. But first, let's go ahead and take this opportunity to answer a question that this prayer begs to be answered. Maybe you know the answer well. Maybe you don't. You've always wondered. So let's just go ahead and explore this question for a minute. What's the deal with this suffering? Why was this God's will and plan? And to answer that, we have to go back to the start. We humans have been what the Bible calls sinning, and we've been doing that since the beginning. We're all in that same boat, that same sinking boat, ignoring God. God has set the image and pattern that sin equals death. It yields death because it does. And that's been our situation from the beginning. Making sacrifices then as part of worship. And so as we approach God, making a sacrifice was part of that approaching of God. God directed his people to do this. That was intended to drive this point home, that sin yields death. So, see, living apart from God is not living at all. It's ignoring the source of real life. And thus it ends in death, spiritual death, real death. Jesus lives a perfect life. He doesn't sin, not once, not ever. The only human to never deserve death. The thing that was coming, that's coming for all of us because of our own ability to ignore God, our own sin, he never did that. So death, he's the only human to, to breathe oxygen to not deserve death. He chose death. We see him at this moment wrestling with that choice he chooses death. He conquers death. He reverses death, but he had to suffer through it. This is who uh, the Messiah or Savior was always predicted 
to be. And God's people had been looking forward to his arrival for generations. Consider these words from the prophet Isaiah, words that mean a lot to us even now today, written centuries before Jesus on earth. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. We're talking, Jesus is praying about the Lord's will, right? If it's your will, your will be done, not mine. Here we, we, we remember what Isaiah said. It was the Lord's will to what? Crush him. And yes, cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. In other words, that's not the end of the story. We are his offspring. And the will of the Lord, there it is again, will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And so I and you too, we are human beings. We've ignored God at some point, in some way, at some level in our lives to do things our own way. And that is sin. That's simply what the Bible means. Sin means missing the mark. It means falling short. We've all done that. And thus it separates us from God. And if we're separated from God, we're separated from real and true and eternal life because life comes from God. So to remind us that sin always produces death, when people turned to God and asked for grace, a sacrifice was part of that prayer to remember that sin equals death, and then we get past that and receive grace. But one day, Isaiah's writing about it, he's far from alone in that. One day, God would make the sacrifice for us, for all of us. And when we pray for grace based on that sacrifice, perfect and eternal, then grace flows freely. God does the very thing he wants most to do, Restore relationship with you and me. That is accomplished through Christ and the cross and the empty tomb. So Jesus, in this scene in the garden, knows that day is here. That long-awaited day, that moment of truth in which the sacrifice was going to be made. He knows that day is here, and he knows he is the sacrifice. Let's just for a moment hear the various New Testament authors put this very truth, and it's a, it, talk about a foundational truth of our faith. This is it right here. This is how they put this truth into words. Paul to the Romans. He, meaning God, sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, and in that body declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. The Apostle Peter put it this way, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life by the Spirit or in the Spirit. The Apostle John puts it this way in his first letter. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So far, it's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's, it's easy to see and hard to miss just how important this truth is. And the thing is, I hope what you're hearing is it seems to apply to all of us, right? 
that God has done something here for all of humanity to say yes to, to receive. He's given a gift for all of us to choose to receive. So whether you're here with me in the room or you're with us online or you're watching this after the fact, just know God has gone all the way to make life eternal life, life with him, true life, possible. He's done it all. He's made all the sacrifices that are necessary. He's extended that invitation right up to your very decision, your yes or your no. If you want to make that a yes today, or you'd like to start that conversation, feel free to scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you or talk to the chat with the online host that's with you right now. We would love to start that conversation with you. But we're not finished here. Let's listen to what the author of Hebrews says. He suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Again, he never deserved it. We all have it coming to us. He went through the portal of death himself uh, as someone who had the power to not even need to experience it. Now, once for all time, Hebrews 9, now once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And a little, little later in Hebrews 10, then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. That's quoting from Psalm 40. Again, this is the kind of thing that's been talked about for centuries. Author of Hebrews says, then he said, meaning the Messiah, Jesus, here I am, I have come to do your will. That's not unlike the prayer he's praying in the garden. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So let those scriptures soak in and remind us that what we're talking about here today and the drama that's being played out in that garden is the hinge on which all history turns. Certainly my history and yours too. And so Jesus is about to be a sacrifice for our sin and suffer death so that he can conquer sin and death, reversing them through the resurrection. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's too far in the future right now. This moment and this prayer is about what's next. Suffering unlike any human has ever known. But hear his words, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Verse 40, then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Friends, I don't know about you. This is me for sure. Maybe you too. I have to work at prayer. Prayer doesn't always come easily to me. Uh, it's something that I have to choose and keep choosing, right? Life's going too fast. I'm too, I'm too distracted. How Jesus handles this, handles this says a lot. Were the disciples letting him down? I think it's fair to say that they were. He's already told them what he wanted, maybe even needed from them to be with him, to watch and pray. But he just urges them again to watch and pray and then expresses understanding of their situation. He acknowledges their spirits are willing. He knows their hearts. But they are wrapped in weakness. Their bodies are so tired. And that's where I relate. Maybe you relate to our minds distracted, our schedules are stretched, our emotions are surging, our dependencies are tempting. It's all going on in there. And Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 
He sees and understands and knows. Now, let's be honest, though. Sometimes our spirit is not so willing. It's not always true that the spirit is willing, right? Sometimes I'm pretty unwilling. Sometimes like maybe I just got other things to do or I've got my own agenda. Maybe you can relate. And we also need to recognize that our body's weaknesses, this is found elsewhere in Scripture, can be overcome by the power of the Spirit. And in fact, so much of the Christian life is recognizing that, my, that God's power is made perfect in those weaknesses and that those weaknesses need not define my behavior for now to the rest of my life. But in fact, it's moving through and past some of those weaknesses as we grow and mature in our faith that is absolutely part of it. But there are moments, and this is certainly one of them, in which our spirits are very much aligned, our hearts are right, but man, our bodies are weak. And in those moments, Jesus sees that too and understands. And interestingly, if you stop and really think about it, Jesus is embodying this very thing in this moment. His spirit is willing, not my will, but yours be done. But in his body, he's dealing with weakness, the desire to avoid suffering. A suffering that he knows is coming his way. Verse 42, Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, spare me this suffering, but only if your will can be accomplished without it. And here we see the mystery of Jesus in his humanity. Imagine knowing such a brutal execution awaited you, and you're choosing it with the power to avoid it. The agony, the agonizing decision that that could be. Here we learn something about Jesus and about prayer. The Son of God is like us, holding two things in tension. You ever known two opposing things, and in your mind they're both kind of coexisting at the same time? It doesn't really make a lot of sense, and yet it's very real. I don't think that's just me. Okay. This is, this is Jesus in this moment. He knows what he must do, even as he prays for a way not to do it. Let's think back to some things Jesus has said. Here's just a couple. In Luke 9, Jesus says, The Son of Man, that's him, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. John 10, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, he said, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. So Jesus knows this is true and he has said it himself, but man, in the moment, in the, the night before he heads to the cross, he's wrestling with this just down to the ground. He's got to really come to grips with this. He holds this tension and yet he is none the lesser for it. It is not a sign of weak faith, God forbid, right? It's not a sign of double-mindedness. This is the Son of God we're talking about. But it's real. It's, it's real humanity dealing with the situation in front of him. It helps me to know that in my own real humanity, as I go to God in prayer, the tensions that I hold or the things that I need to wrestle with, he can understand because he's been there. Amen. Verse 43, when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. Mark adds the fact they did not know what to say to him. They were at a loss for words. And they're very much like us, so human. Bone tired, 
sometimes practically blind and mute before Jesus, not knowing what to say, eyes heavy. I see myself most, for sure, in the sleeping disciples. Willing but weak, letting him down, though he never lets go of me. Verse 44, Jesus goes to pray a third time, saying the same things again. He's not done. Luke adds the fact that being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The anguish that he was facing. We can't afford to forget what it costs, this salvation that we enjoy. We can't afford to forget the agony that the Son of God went through, the choice that he made, the example that he set, not my will, but your will be done. As we prepare our hearts for Good Friday, as we consider the joy of Easter Sunday, let's not forget what it cost, what it meant, the drama of it all. He returned to the disciples, found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow, Luke says, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? How often, do, how often does Jesus say that to me sometimes, right? Are you still? Come on, right? But sometimes we do. The things I just said we can't afford to forget, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we fall asleep. Jesus says to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, he says, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. So that group that we met earlier with the, the swords, the clubs, and the torches, they've now arrived. He sees them coming. Look, he says, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And this is where we'll pick up at our Good Friday service this Friday. I hope you can come. The cup that Jesus prayed about of suffering has not left his hands. He prayed those prayers. He prayed them three times. And the answer was no. There is no other way. Here comes the cup of suffering. Here comes my betrayer. What have we seen here in this scene? Prayer is real and raw. God can handle it, and we can pray it. But we need to pray it. The prayer that's on your heart, the thing you're wrestling with, the choice you're trying to make, the tension you're holding, go ahead and let it out and talk to God about it. He can handle it. Prayer, real prayer that's raw. What else do we see? We see that in dark hours, Jesus wants us to join him in prayer. We see that there's plenty of opportunity in life to watch and pray. Plenty of opportunity in life, plenty of need in life to stay with him, right? So much of life is about staying with Jesus. There is a time to watch and pray. It was a dramatic night of epic proportions, no doubt. It was a night of falling asleep, falling into temptation. It was a night of bleeding prayers and a betraying kiss. It was a night where the Son of God needed friends to stay and pray with him. He needs those friends today in you and in me in this world, this dark world full of dark hours, full of betrayal, of willing spirits and weak flesh. That's us, and that's okay. He's with us. Thank God. Amen. I'm going to invite you to take the bread and cup this morning. Speaking of cup, as Jesus prays about a cup of suffering earlier that night, he passed on a cup 
to his disciples, and that cup is being passed on to us today. It is a cup that certainly represents Jesus' suffering, but for us, it's a cup filled with grace and forgiveness. He gave bread as well, and he said when he took that bread to his disciples, he said, this bread represents my body. It's given for you. He knew what was about to happen. Even though he'd be praying, God, your will be done, but he was wrestling that truth to the ground, he did ask us to never, ever forget it. And that as often as we get, often as we gather together, that we would take that bread and remember him. Let's do that. And he passed on that cup, a cup for us of grace, bought with suffering, but now full of forgiveness. Let's take and drink and remember him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for just the truth of this scene, the, the realness of it, the, the honesty of it, the reminder for us, God, that Jesus, you being 100% human as well as 100% divine means you know us, you understand us, you relate to us. The agonies that we face or the tensions that we hold, you've been there more than we could ever imagine. You certainly can empathize with us in our own weaknesses, just as you did those disciples. So Lord, when you see our hearts, thank you that you see them with such grace. Lord, help us to overcome those weaknesses Help our spirits to be ever more willing. Lord, as we reflect this week, as we contemplate your death and your resurrection, as we keep turning our thoughts to you this holy week, Holy Spirit, draw us near to you and help us to be the people that you have designed us to be. People who love you, people who follow you, people who absorb and accept and receive with joy that gift of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.